super excited to have join us today, former Tennis Canada employee, Masters of Business and Exercise Science, advocate and educator for the growth of women's sport, and close friend of the show, Kevin Gormley. Kevin, how are you doing today? Good, good, Greg. Thanks for having me. Hi, Nate, as well. Hello. Yeah, I'm really, really excited to be here. I know we had been chatting a bit about having a, a segment on women's sport and a segment on, on tennis, and I think this is a, a, great, a great spot to do it. No, most definitely. I think, you know, we've been excited. You know, we try to uh, touch on, you know, as many sports as we can, Nate. We yep. try not to be, you know, one sport specific. And I think that's what is really touching on, on the entire sports world. And I think this is such a, a major topic and growing topic and, and certainly something that we need to bring to light. And we, we, we sh uh, share values of that is, is growing women's, women's sports. And, and obviously yep. uh, in tennis, we're, we're extremely interested to chatting with. So we're excited to pick your brain, Kev. Yeah, um, no, thanks for having me. Greg and I, obviously, we did our MBA together. And uh, my first internship out of the MBA was with Tennis Canada, which interestingly really spurred my my um, my fanfare for it, I guess, is what you could say. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So Kev, yeah, just just that's a great segue. Just talk a little bit about your time at Tennis Canada and, and you know what what sorts of things were going on there and, and you know what really fueled uh, your interest and, and uh, your sure. own fandom in, in the sport of tennis. Yeah. So I guess the first summer after our, our first year in our masters, we got to uh, kind of choose where we where we wanted to head out for an internship in the summer and I was looking around and I tennis Canada and just over our our first year at school I became really interested in in women's sport and growth strategies for the game and kind of where where it was in in 2019 and I think tennis is is the pinnacle of women's sport and this opportunity came up with tennis Canada to work for the Rogers Cup which is it's known as the Canadian Open, so it's it's a, a large tennis tournament put on by by Tennis Canada in um, in August, and basically it hosts. So it goes between Toronto and Montreal, and so the men were were hosted in Montreal in 2019, and the women in Toronto. And I got the opportunity to work in ticket sales uh, for the Toronto-based tournament, so for the women, which was really really exciting for me. I'd never worked in sports before, and if uh, if the listeners are aware, 2019 was a big year for for tennis in Canada, it was huge. Um, we had tons of, of young players on the circuit there that really kind of came to light. So we've got the, the men there, Dennis Shapovalov, uh, Felix Ojealiasim, you've got Milos Raonic, they're all very highly ranked. But then Bianca Andreescu came onto the scene in 2019 and I think she really blew up tennis for Canada. And, and being a woman, I think she really blew up tennis for, for girls in Canada, really seeing that, that role model um, as something that they that girls could really strive to be so she won the Rogers Cup in 2019 uh, so she was the first Canadian tennis player to win to win the Rogers Cup in over 50 years and then mm -hmm. following that she won the US Open and I think Greg and I were watching that together we were at the bar in where were we Dolan's yeah. I remember watching it with you and we were like screaming it was insane yeah <laughs> um in Fredericton and yeah so she won the U.S. Open and I think that was incredible for for tennis in Canada it's, she's the first player within the Canadian tennis um realm to win a win a Grand Slam title so that's huge oh yeah extremely huge she's the real deal too I believe she's number nine right now in yeah. yeah yeah she is so she, I think when she won that tournament she went to number four which is the highest ranking any singles players had in Canada I think she's dropped a bit just due to her performance in the in the past few tournaments, just because she, I think she was hurt for the past 15 months, so she came into the Open without playing for for quite a bit. But no, she's she's the real deal. I'm I'm fairly certain she's going to have a, a long career. 
Um, while we're talking about some of the big Canadian stars, Bianca, as you spoke of, yeah. Felix, um, what do you think are some of the determining factors to the development of some of these players? Yeah, so that was interesting working um, with Tennis Canada. That was something that they highlighted in our first week week there. And like, why are we starting to produce such high level talent in a country that is known for hockey and a country that is known for winter and um, winter sports? And uh, so basically what happened and what they pinpointed to is kind of a change in structure about 10 years ago. So 10 to 15 years ago, we really had no elite talent in the pool. Um, and what happened is Tennis Canada brought in a French coach. His name's Louis Borfiga. So he's from the French Federation. He's very structured and he came in and he basically redeveloped and brought in a national training program. So they set up uh, a training center in Montreal. They now have training centers in Toronto, Calgary, uh, Vancouver, and they actually just opened one in Halifax uh, this year, which is awesome. Cool. So I think structuring the really high level training was, was a big part. And so Milos Raonic and Jeannie were some of the first players. So Jeannie Bouchard were some of the first players within that program, within that training center. Um, and I guess they would be like the first high level talent that kind of came out of it. Um, so that, that's a big portion. I think another one, you can't really say luck, but I think luck obviously has a little bit to do with it. But I think structuring and investment in in their high-level talent is what Tennis Canada really pushes forward. So um, they are a national sporting organization, but they do own the Rogers Cup, which is actually now just rebranded, I believe it was last week. They're now the National Bank Open. So all of the revenue produced through this tournament can actually be reinvested into either grassroots sport and then high-level um, high training. And there's a really distinct period in tennis where you move from juniors to the pro and it can be quite um quite detrimental for some players just you can see burnout and other things like that and tennis canada has really tried to invest in in coaching and uh, helping the players kind of make that big jump so we're seeing that now like the three canadian men on the tour we have three in the top 20 which is insane so we have dennis he's ranked at 12 we have milos at uh 14 and then felix at 19 and then vashik pospisil i'm not sure if you guys are familiar with him he's in the top 100 he's a bit older but he's known for his double play is he not kev yeah he is yeah, yeah. and he's been yeah. he's kind of made a comeback really well in the u.s open and he didn't do so well in the aussie open but he he's a fun player to watch he's a he's a big guy really athletic guy and then on the women's side obviously we talked about bianca um ranked number nine she won the u.s open won, won the rogers cup another really interesting girl that the fans should start to watch is uh Layla fernandez so she's younger she actually in her juniors won the French Open. So the Grand Slams actually have junior tournaments as well. And uh, so she's currently ra- ranked 86, but she's had some matches and she's beat some big players. So she's someone to look out for. Jeannie is one that obviously I think she's always going to have have fans within the within the Canadian realm. She in 2014 she reached the Grand Slam tournament in signal in singles. She's I think she's she's always going to have a bit of fans there. And then another girl. That was really interesting within the Canadian program that I think the fans should look out for too is Rebecca Marino. So she, uh, so she was really, really good in 2010, 2011 when she made her, her first appearance on the circuit, uh, circuit, but um, she actually left pro tennis in 2013, kind of citing that, that burnout that a lot of athletes maybe don't talk about too much, the, the mental and, and physical fatigue that you have from, from playing professional sports. And she actually left the circuit. She went to school. Um, she actually was a rower with UBC 
and she came back and this is and she's played her first grand slam match in the aussie open uh in this past uh january and she or sorry february and uh yeah she won her first round match she she didn't win her second round match but she's she's going to be someone that's exciting to watch and kind of a a nice underdog comeback story so so look out for her but the canadian tennis scene it has an insane amount of talent coming through the pipeline so Absolutely. That's super exciting. And, and the way I sometimes frame my, my train of thoughts and, and the way, you know, I look at sports, uh, it, you know, it's certainly something that I developed uh, while doing my master's is that I think about accessibility and, you know, when I yeah. think about enrolling into sports and, you know, for my future children, you know, how, you know, how much of a, of a burden does it put on the parents to enroll your children in these types of sports? And I think tennis is such a great uh, sport to invest in from from you know from every standpoint because all you really need is a racket and you know a pair of running shoes and and uh, you know the court isn't overly expensive to set up and it's an extremely accessible from the grassroots level so what a great program mm-hmm. to, to really invest in from the national level and you know we obviously have and it's and it's and it's paying dividends at you know at the pro level and uh, yeah no that's a good exciting. point Greg um, one, one thing I wanted to mention as well is the accessibility standpoint of tennis and that's something that tennis Canada has been pushing is because we are um, we do have winter, summer, spring, like the, the seasons change, it can be hard to access tennis courts in the winter. So what Tennis Canada is trying to do is push forward the idea of um, multi-complex kind of sporting arenas where there's the ability to also play tennis in them. I know a lot of, we talked about this in our masters, but a lot of communities are built around the hockey arena. Yeah. Um, but hockey and arenas are in different different yeah exactly but looking at getting kind of multi-sport complexes or either tennis complexes that can be changed to either maybe a basketball court or or something just to to make it more accessible to kids during the winter because that's that's the big issue that Canada has when compared to to other countries that are in more uh, warmer climates like so those kids can can always access the tennis court so that's something that, that that they're pushing in the next few years I can see uh I can see the amount of tennis courts definitely increasing. No, most definitely. So Kev, um, obviously it was, it was the first time a Canadian uh, singles player had won a major title, but you know, yeah. what, was the, what was the ripple effect and kind of the trickle down effect like? Uh, time will tell as, as the years go on, but you know, how monumental was that Bianca win uh, of the US Open? For Canadian tennis, it, it was the biggest point in, in their history. Uh, I think you have to look at the role model perspective, especially from a women's sport lens and how important it is to see women excelling at the top ranks of sport. And so that little girls who maybe don't know what sport they want to play and they see Bianca on TV, they're like, oh, wow, like that's something that I can do. So I think, I think it was really big for, for girls, but I think it was really big for boys too. Like no Canadian, no Canadian uh, man has won. Uh, a singles grand slam and she's the first Canadian to do it so also for for all kids to be like okay that's that's something that I can do maybe in and not even in tennis just in any sport like Absolutely. if I, I want to excel to, to the top it, it's possible so I think she's a big inspiration and she was quite young too um, one of the first teenagers to actually I think win a grand slam don't quote me on that that might be wrong but um, yeah just like that it's possible so I think that role model perspective is, is really big and uh, I think it'll be big for for girls to come in the sport. We're about halfway through the Australian Open now, Kev. Yeah. Um, who do, who do you think's going to take it? What's uh, what do you yeah. think? Yeah. Yeah. So if we want to talk, we can talk women's and men's <laughs> here. I, as a fan, am like I know a lot more about the women's side of the game, but I obviously watch the men's a bit as well. I would say, like, we can start with the men's. I think Rafa, he's going to take it, Nadal. Yeah. He. Yeah. 
I want he's so fun to watch he won last night um and yeah I, I think he's he's gonna take it it'd be really interesting to see Novak and uh, Nadal in a final in a final I think I think it's setting up to be that way they're on both sides of the bracket that it, it can end up like that um so let's go with yeah let's go with Nadal and then on the women's side I'm gonna go with like kind of a dark horse pick maybe not a pick that everyone would make but I really like this girl named Jennifer Brady so if you get a chance to to watch her She's an interesting story as well. She's an American girl. Um, she actually played in the NCAA. So she is not someone who initially went right into pro. She kind of grew her game in college. And she, um, it's a true testament to like the, the time she spent to work on her game. And sh- her serve is like insane. She's muscular. She's strong. But like her serve is insane in terms of the speed and the the quality on it like she, the aces she's getting she's only lost two service games whole, the whole tournament so oh, I, i'm big on her um but we'll see i know i would love to see serena serena win though like yeah. serena's my all-time favorite i know a lot of people's favorite so it'd be nice to see her get that uh that 24th grand slam <laughs> what she's matched up against halip yeah so in the quarters she's up yeah halep simona halep so um that'll be a tough match for for both of them I think Serena comes out on top on that just based on her serve and she's a power hitter like what they're saying for this Aussie Open is that the courts are really fast for some reason all the players are saying it so it's really favoring those those heavy hitters those those players with a lot of firepower in their shots um and their serves which Serena is insane like she had her her top like highest speed serve at the Aussie Open this past week, I think it was like 200 kilometers an hour or something like that. It was insane. That's nuts. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So well, I would like to see her in the final as well. I would say like a Serena Brady final would be cool, two Americans. For sure. But yeah, I think I think the Halep match is going to be hard though. Uh, Halep beat her in 2019 at the Wimbledon uh, final um, on grass. And Halep's an interesting player. She's smaller in stature, but she's like super athletic um, she gets to like every ball, like she doesn't give up. Yeah. So that'll be a uh, watch to, uh, sorry, a match to watch for sure. Yeah. And, and Kev kind of previewing, you know, your, your, uh, underdog dark horse favorite, uh, Jen Brady, she's playing against, um, Paluga. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. Jessica Pagula. Yeah. Pagula. Uh, so, yeah, just, yeah. And so just tell us a little bit about her and what her parents do. I think this is going to come to a surprise, uh, for, for many of the listeners. Yeah. She has been had an amazing run this tournament. It's the first time she's made the quarterfinals in a grand slam. Um, she's also similar story to Brady. She's a bit older. She's 26, I believe. And she has kind of come up in the ranks a bit late, later than these, these younger stars that you're seeing in their, their twenties, but she's had a fairy tale run. Like she's took out big names um, in the tournament already in the first round. She took out Victoria Zarenka. So she's a former number one. Wow. Uh, she took out in her last match in the round of 16, uh, Sev- Civitalina these names the names are a bit hard sometimes but yeah she's uh she's ranked uh, number five in the world so that was a big surprise and uh yeah her parents own the the Sabres and the Bills so I guess the Bills mafia are all all over <laughs> Pagula and then wanted to 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 win so yeah Absolutely. she wrote on the on the camera after the games the girls and the, the guys are writing on the camera in like pen on the camera and she said uh go Bills go Sabres I believe so wow that's, that's really cool yeah, yeah. Um, so, Kev, kind of transitioning outside of the tennis realm. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, obviously a lot of policymakers and, you know, a lot of just, you know, league 
governors, um, you know, people advocating for women's sports are really trying to, to you know, gain tactics and, and, and trying mm-hmm. to implement ways to grow these games. And, and uh, I guess we'll kind of start off with a little uh, saga that was recently in the news between, you know, the massive media company Barstool Sports. Yes. National Women's Hockey League. So let's kind of just break down what happened uh, with that saga. And then we'll kind of transition to, you know, what are some tactics and what are some ways you think moving forward that women's sports can really try to grow demand and, and grow viewership and just, you know, grow interest? No, yeah, that that was a bit of a controversy. I know you and I had spoke a bit about it uh, before this with the National Women's Hockey League and then kind of the the bar stool call out, I believe it was a few weeks ago. Um, I guess what we'd want to do is give a bit of background on what's happening in women's hockey from a professional standpoint. It's a bit it's a bit messy right now, I guess you could say, and a bit divided. Um, So. Right now, there's basically two different organizations that are formed around women's hockey. So there's the National Women's Hockey League, and they were formed in 2015. So they're a pro league. And then at the same time that they were formed, which interestingly, there was another league, the Canadian Women's Hockey League, that had already been playing. Um, So kind of interesting that two leagues kind of playing within the women's sport realm. Some people have said it would have made maybe more sense for them to combine as as one in in terms of uh, propelling women's hockey forward. But anyways, uh, the Canadian Women's Hockey League actually dissolved last May in 2019. Uh, They cited financial issues, but the National Women's Hockey League still continued. Um, But what they thought is that a lot of women out of the Canadian Women's Hockey League would actually just join in on the NWHL. And that's not the case. So some of these really, really high performing uh, women's hockey athletes joined the uh, PWHPA, so the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association. Yep. So have you guys seen those uh, those like blue hoodies that a lot of the the NHLers are wearing into some of the games? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the PWHPA, and a lot of like so talents like Hillary Knight, uh, Kendall Coyne, Schofield, Poulin, the Canadian, they're within this PWHPA, and they're basically advocating for. They want one viable women's hockey league. They want, um, they basically want equal pay, equal pay, and they want like a viable league that's going to um, be able to function over a long period of time. So there's a bit of a division here. So not the the best players, I guess, in women's hockey aren't necessarily playing in the NWHL right now. But interestingly, the NWHL had the opportunity to play in a bubbled tournament uh, this past uh, month in Lake Placid. So it was going to be a two week bubble tournament. Um, and it, it kicked off and it's great that that women's hockey was on TV. I know NBC had grabbed in on the broadcasting rights that were going to be for the semis and the, the finals there. Um, but unfortunately the women's hockey league actually, uh, the tournament kind of folded this, this last, uh, this last week. Was it last week, Greg? Do you uh, recently. Yeah, I think it was. In the last week, week and a half, uh, the two-week period, yeah, it ended mm-hmm. up um, Why did it fold? due to COVID, COVID outbreak. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was due to COVID-19. So they, they didn't finish off the tournament, but within the kind of the two-week segment that it was running, there was a bit of an off-ice situation with Barstool that was brought to light. Um, so I guess to, to segue into that, um, Erica Nardini, she's the, uh, CEO, the CEO of Barstool. Yeah. Yeah. And so she, I guess, has been a, a heavy advocate or promoter for women's hockey. I know she joined, um, or started playing women's hockey later in life and she really enjoyed it. Anyway, 
I know what happened was she had some NWHL players on her podcast um, to talk about the 2021 season. Anyway, so these girls went on the podcast, two of these players, and following it, um, uh, multiple women hockey fans and some journalists actually tweeted some objections to these girls going on to the, the Barstool podcast. And this had to do with kind of Barstool's kind of long history of being accused of possibly pu- publishing mis- misogynistic content, different, different, uh, different content that may not um, be, be so value. great for, yeah. for include, yeah, for inclusiveness, yeah. I would say. So anyway, so after that, the Erica Nardini, she shared a video on her, on her uh, token CEO podcast, Twitter page, I guess, I guess, addressing the haters basically saying that the haters shouldn't have criticized her and she's been very supportive of the NWHL. Now, following that, the NWHL came out with a statement uh, saying that there is no circumstance where it would be acceptable for Erica to call out the reporters, staff members, or fans who'd given so much of their time to women's hockey, especially knowing that they could be targeted or harassed on social media. But then following that, it's kind of, it's a very, it's a very um, long saga here. And then Dave Portnoy came to the to the defense of Erica yep. in a kind of a statement that I, I don't fully agree with, but uh, we can kind of, we can kind of get into it. Like he, he was saying he was going to have an emergency press conference and he didn't believe that the NWHL's criticism of Barstool and Erica was fair, which I, I don't completely agree. I, I'm not sure. Do you guys want to? Yeah. It, it's a very dividing kind of topic. And yeah, and, uh, I guess Nate, before you go, I'll just kind of chime in a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I've, I, can, I can view both sides and, and I see both sides perspectives very clearly. I think that you know, Erica is obviously, you know, a, a, like you said, a, you know, a big advocate for, for women's hockey. And I think that their outreach and their fan base would be great for women's hockey to utilize. But at the same time, you know, they do, they walk the line of, of, of people's, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they can be misogynistic. They do do things that don't align with the values of maybe the growth strategy and just the overall women's sports perspective. And I don't think it was, you know, as, as the entirety, as a hundred percent of the population of women's sport, they didn't want to be involved with barstool sports. Yeah. And that's, I agree with you there. So like in terms of a league or a women's league that really wants to cater to the advancement of women in sports. And when you talk about women in sports, you also have to talk about that intersectionality with um, racial and social justice movements. And I think if, if women's hockey and if certain players within the women's hockey realm don't want to be tied to Barstool, I think that's completely fair in terms of the platform that Barstool has. Yes, they have a far reach in terms of maybe some of the sports fans that they can reach out to, but I don't fully believe that their, their morals and their, their platform is the, the right affiliate or partner for a women's sport league. Um, and I think, I think the best thing or the best resolution that could have came from that was if Erica maybe under sat down and said, okay, why, why do some of these girls, why do some of these journalists not want to be affiliated with me with, with Barstool and maybe have a bigger conversation around that instead of just being like, oh, like you shouldn't criticize me. Like we could have been the savior for women's hockey. Like not necessarily. I think if they had a, a, I think today in in this world, it's important if you are criticized for misogyny or or different um, things like that, that you, you have to have a bigger conversation about it. Why, why am I being, why is this being brought up and how can we kind of like move forward and uh, create a better, a better growth strategy for women's sport? If that's the, the full, if that's the end goal, I guess you could say. Yeah. What do you think a good growth strategy would be for the women's league? 
or women's sports in general? Yeah, um, I think just based on some of the research I've done, a big thing is going to come down to to media coverage. Right. Um, well, what like- I'm seeing is like, if you look at the media, they obviously are serving to a certain demand within the marketplace, but as much as they serve or meet a demand within the mar- within the sports marketplace, I think they also create a demand and they create a lot of free advertising for, um, so men get, a, men's sports get a ton, a ton of media coverage and it's almost, it's free in the sense of advertising. So I think it's gonna come down to to that. And I think we are starting to see a change in the landscape. There's still a lot of work to be done, but you're seeing a lot of, with the emergence of like online digital media platforms with podcasts, like I think you're going to see more coverage and, and, uh, and talking about women's sport. Like even you guys having this segment is, is important. Your fans will start, maybe, maybe they'll look up a tennis player I talked about or a a woman athlete that we talk about. And I think it just creates that visibility and starts to incite consumption of, of women's sport. I think another big one is going to be, I think time, obviously with any league, with any um, new sport, you need time for it to grow. And you're starting to see some, some changes and um, investment within the realm. Like I think what you're seeing in that, that's really important to me is a lot of cross collaboration investment within women's sports. So interestingly, um, from the tennis side, Serena Williams, she invested in the National Women's Soccer League and in into a new team uh, in LA. Uh, you're seeing Naomi Osaka just invested heavily in the uh, North Carolina Courage of the NWSL, so the National Women's Soccer League. So I think once you start getting a bit more meaningful partnerships like that, that's going to help grow the game. And then sponsorship is big too, obviously in sport broadcasting and sponsorship bring in a lot of the the revenue for men's sport and it's going to be no different for women's it's just finding those meaningful partnerships and i think you're starting to see it um and then something that i was in my own research i was looking that women's sport brings in a younger a younger viewership segment in the 16 to 24 year old realm and i think a lot of brands are going to want to get in on that demographic especially and, and start to monetize on the on that demographic so i think women's sport brings demographics that men's sport don't always have. Absolutely. So I think that's really helpful for, uh, for developing some, some investment. Another thing that I actually found that's quite interesting is um, there's a new thing that if the fans want to check out, it's called the fan project. And it's actually, it was, it's founded by um, a U.S. women's hockey player, Angela Ruggiero. And basically what they want to do is they're asking sports fans to come in and, give access to some of their Twitter and Facebook data. It's all anonymous, but what brands want to see is they want to see um, that fans want this, that they want women's sport. And I think they do. And if they have access to the data, this is going to, this is going to show that investment is needed and that there is a really good business case for, for women's sports. So definitely check out the fan project. I just saw it. They just released like last week. It's brand new. So you're seeing a lot of pop-ups in that realm. I'll check that out for sure, Kevin. You know, this has been a topic that we've covered a lot and, and something that, you know, we've tried to, you know, I guess critically think about ideologies uh, to grow the games. And I think that there is, uh, you know, a level of, of dependence or a level of, of uh, commitment from the, the leagues that are already established in the professional men's league to really, yeah. you know, help drive the growth. And I think, 
um, you know, I was thinking just, uh, you know, the major sports that I follow with golf, hockey, you know, a little bit of tennis, basketball, and soccer is, is you know, what a perfect opportunity in hockey for, I think, you know, for me, you know, what an attractive idea would be for NHL teams to have some sort of a strategic partnership with women's teams mm-hmm. and for them to play on the same nights. You know, say, say the, you know, the Maple Leafs have, have a women's team affiliated with them and they play at five o'clock and, and CBC's broadcasting, you know, from five o'clock till mm-hmm. 10 o'clock or till, you know, they've got the two late games. Um, you know, what an opportunity would be to not only, you know, I, you know, I'm such a degenerate sports fan and I, I don't mind sitting <laughs> down for long periods of time and watching sports yeah. and consuming those things so I think that yeah you know some sort of a partnership there would, would help grow demand and help you know grow the media coverage it just makes sense from an operational standpoint standpoint because you're already going to be operating mm-hmm. the rink paying these employees in the rinks um you know just to keep them on for a few more hours and, and really get people in the rink a little early um you know obviously there's there's some some costs involved in this but I think you know what an opportunity to to give the stage to them um I was thinking about golf Kev you know um, I find that the LPGA tour doesn't, you know, at, at times, you know, falls in the shadows of the PGA tour, but what a perfect opportunity for them to play on different sides of, of North America. So when the PGA tour is in California, mm-hmm. why don't you have the women's tour in Florida? So you can start the coverage at seven, eight in the morning um, and play the women's coverage all morning. And then once it flips to California, once it gets four hours difference, then you can start to play the women. So I thought, you know, maybe uh, if they were at uh, at different um uh, parts of the country at different sides of the country. I think that would really align well with throwing the games. And I also think that in golf, you know, historically golf has been extremely sexist, extremely racist. It really doesn't mm-hmm. have a great past. Um, but I think Augusta national, uh, it's just such a prestigious, prestigious course. I think that they should have a women's masters at, at Augusta and really open the doors to the women. Um, I think that, it, you know, it's a male dominated membership. It's a male dominated atmosphere. It's in Georgia. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's extremely uh, behind in, 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 you know, just the social movements uh, we've, we see now in 2021. So I think that would be an interesting idea for, for women's golf to give them a major championship at Augusta national. And also, like I said, play at the different parts uh, of, of the geographics in North America. America, to really have that time difference and really mm-hmm. the opportunity to, to see some TV time. Um, I think tennis is actually doing a really good job. Uh, I think they're, yeah. I think they're certainly, like you said, they're the pinnacle. They're at the top of growing the games. Um, I think UFC as well does a great job of giving them opportunity to be on the highlight card. Sometimes the highlighted mm-hmm. fight. I mean, UFC yep. is a bit of a different animal. It's certainly not a sport that everyone loves to get into and loves to watch. It's some, it's maybe just a little bit, um, you know, over the top or, or just a little bit more gory or, or you know, very, maybe too, um, too aggressive or, you know, I, I can't think of the word right now, but you know what I mean? Not, not, it doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't, not attractive to, to all sports fans. Yeah. Um, but I think that there are certain, certainly ways for, for women's sports to grow, um, you know, grow demand and, and grow uh, viewership and fanship. And I know it's certainly something that I'm waiting for. And I know it's, it's not something that I should sit, sit back and do, but I'm excited for women's, uh, the women's games to start to grow and, and for me to be able to, to gamble and to just sit down and, yeah. and watch uh, these sports because uh, certainly, you know, there, it is, you know, such, such a fun event and, and such a, you know, there's, a, they're just extremely talented, you know, and, and, I guess I'm going to finish off this rant, Kev. I know it's been. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I think you made good points. Like the, the um, combining or coordinating with, with men's sport. Like, I think you need as much as we need uh, females in the room and which is very important. We also need male allies. And I think with, these partnerships with the the big four leagues like that's going to be huge like the the pwhpa so the professional women's hockey players association they just paired their first partnership with the the maple leafs 
So the Maple Leafs are going to assist with some marketing uh, advice. They're going to coordinate some efforts. And I think that's going to be really helpful. Um, obviously with sports, like where you're actually playing the sport is really important. So like arenas, um, stadiums, and there's a lot of money that goes into those. And I know um, the WNBA model and some of the, the NWSL models, some of them play uh, out of the same stadiums as the men. So you can bring in, um, maybe fans that are already fans of the, the, the male realm of the sport, bring them into the, to watch some of the female games as well. I think it's important. Yeah, no, I think those are, there's, those are all really good ideas. And I think it comes down to that media coverage. Like we need more coverage of female sports and we need quality coverage and knowledgeable coverage. So in the past, you'll, you'll get coverage of, of female sport or women's sport and it's very gender biased. It's sexualized coverage there's no backstories like the men's game. Once you get those backstories, you get to know who the athlete actually is and you focus on the sport and the story around it. Absolutely. I think there's going to be a lot of money to be made there as well. When we were talking about the UFC and how the UFC is so good at ha kind of having the females at the same time as the men kind of thing, I'm trying to string a sentence together. Um, <laughs> but do you think that has a lot to do with it just where they have kind of the same sport? You know what I mean? Like, it's the same thing, like, with Very women's, with women's, for instance, women's hockey, sorry. I mean, there's no body checking. Uh, yeah. You the rules. Yeah. Are, do you think that would make a big difference, or? I know Greg and I have talked about the, the no body checking in women's hockey, and then even in tennis, tennis being quite equal in terms of what, what they've done. They have equal pay. So, and in every Grand Slam, the women make the same as the men. This is only in the Grand Slams, though. There are tournaments where the women still don't make the same as the men. Um, but in, in tennis, like the, in the Grand Slams, women play three sets, men play five. Um, there's no body checking in women's hockey. And I don't know with tennis it, they say it comes from tradition the men have always played five sets the women have always played three and that's how it is but I think we need to get away from that and in a sense like if women can't hit in hockey in a sense you're making it lesser than the men's game and you're just positioning yeah. it as a secondary um as a secondary option to watch and it's I think you need it to be the same like you need hitting you need yeah. I think the women should play five sets in the grand slams or the men should play three sets. Like, I think you need to, it needs to be equal playing field. And um, so that because of bias mindsets, people won't be like, Oh, well, if they can't hit, I, I don't even really think there's a, a, uh, a point in watching, but yeah, no, I think those, those are things that need to start to change as well. Like we need to get out of this sport is all about tradition like things can change and there can be changes that uh, that bring in new, new fans actually instead of maybe pissing off old fans I totally agree um and that's a great point Nate like I, I certainly wanted to bring that up in, in the sense where I think in the hockey realm that hitting would would add and and obviously you probably couldn't do it right away you'd have to start at the at the younger ages of, of yeah, women's yeah. hockey mm -hmm. it in. yeah and and yeah it in. but I think that adds an element to hockey that's it's it's not as vicious as you would think it's just kind of a it, it, it when taught correctly exactly yeah, it, so. it, it impacts the game and the strategy of the game and and it does make it more exciting because there's these vulnerable areas of the ice that you have to you know strategically work through because you can get hit in those areas so I think that would add a great component and a great uh you know viewership uh to women's hockey and, and and honestly from what i've watched in women's hockey it's not they're not that far from it they do battle very hard they're yeah. yeah 
Um, and I guess I kind of just wanted to tell a little story. Uh, I, I did read James Duffy's book called Beauties, and and you know it, what it is is it, it's kind of you know a diary of of about 70, 75 hockey stories that he's gathered from from these major figures in the sport. And and Kendall Coyne's Goldfield told a great story about um, in twenty nineteen when the NHL brought in the women's and, and really involved them into the all-star game. And, and Kendall Coyne got this to, to take on the fastest skater. And, and she, she was an amazing, amazing talent. And, and, and so the pressure she said that she felt during that, can you imagine? She was the first one to go. It was the first time a woman's ever competed in the men's event. Mm-hmm. You've got the entire NHL all-stars on either bench. She's got to go skate this lap. Anyway, she completely crushed it. But when they're telling the story, she won the, it, no? no, 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 I think she came, uh, sixth or fifth fastest, but still there was, there was the yeah. other men that, that weren't as fast as, as Kendall was. But I remember, you know, the highlight of that story for me was there was a little girl and this ties in really well, Kev, with, with what you say with the media and, and the production and, and what that's going to do for women's games. So there was a four-year-old in Ottawa and, uh, and after the, she had watched the all-star game with her dad, she took a video of her, you know, sprinting around on her skates in a mm-hmm. chair on the, on the Rideau Canal in, in, in Ottawa. And, and, uh, and Kendall, you know, saw that video and there was an interaction on Twitter and, uh, and then it kind of ended off the story by saying, you know, uh, little Jenny has now started hockey, um, you know, kind of, you know, after that event. So, you know, what an inspiring moment that was for, for not only, you know, women around the country and, and people who viewed that, that, you know, listen, you know, you can compete with the men and, and have, you know, the skill sets that the men have. Um, and, you know, you just need the opportunity, uh, you know, on, on the national stage and, and from, you know, these, these massive broadcasting companies. And that was, I think that was certainly a breath of fresh air for the women's game and that whole experience. I remember I watched mm-hmm. the three on three women and I'm super excited. I thought it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think the media coverage is like, it's a huge, huge element of it. And once you can start getting really meaningful storylines within your TSNs, your sports nets, your ESPNs, that's where you're going to see a big change. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing with the social media era that I think is really great just for sport in general is um, some ac- accessibility to to these players outside of their sports realm, I guess you could say, like they're in their everyday people sometimes, some of their passions outside of sport. So just even in the men's side, you you get access to that through um, Instagram, through TikTok, Twitter. Um, and I think that's going to be important for the women's game too, to start building some storylines and giving people access to, to these athletes. Um, yeah. And I think basically if there's not, if there's no women's sport on, on television, you can't really identify with it. So that, that's the first thing that, that needs to change. And I know just in tennis and specifically um, before 2019, like any of the non grand slam. So any other tournament wasn't featured like TSN or Sportsnet didn't own the rights. Um, so you couldn't watch it. Yeah. So I think DAZN owned the rights that subscription sports platform. So you'd have to buy uh, a subscription to actually watch women's tennis and that's a detriment to the game. Like you want it to be, you want it to be, be available on television for, for young kids to just go on and watch, watch and be like, I want to go watch Bianca to today in a, in a smaller tournament. And they have the opportunity to do that. I think that's the issue with, with women's soccer as well. Um, I know there's a, this upcoming weekend, there's the She Believes Cup in the U.S. and it's put on, I believe, every year by the U.S. women's national team and they play, I think this this year they're gonna, there's going to be Canada, Brazil um, and the U.S. And what I was looking is you can't watch it live in Canada without purchasing a subscription to One Soccer. So CBC is going to air it, but it's not going to be aired until two or three days later. 
so that that's an issue like it needs to be live right yeah. um so i think once media coverage starts to change i think bias mindsets are going to start to change and we're going to see a, a big push in the next few years in terms of investment within the within the women's realm absolutely um no kev I, you know those are some great points and it, it's certainly you know something that we're really excited to to not only talk about but to just hopefully see uh come into fruition is, mm -hmm. is the growth of women's sports and you know i think that to end it off i think the three of us should just talk about some of the you know the most impactful women you know athletes that you know that come to mind when we're talking about women's sports and and uh, i guess you know, I, before, you know, we talk about those, I want to say, Kev, hopefully we can have you back on to preview some of the, you know, major women's sports uh, events. Down oh, yeah. I'd be very happy to to come on. This has been fun. I first podcast I've ever done. So <laughs> it's nice. I know uh, I'm I'm happy that you guys have started this. I know Greg had wanted to, to do something like this for a while and you guys are doing a really awesome job. Like I listen to every episode and I'm like, wow, this is, this is awesome. Stuff. I get some really good, good uh, betting tips and some facts that I didn't know. <laughs> no, for sure. But yeah, in terms of women, women athletes and who would be like my standout, I, uh, mine growing up was always Christine Sinclair, like hands down. I was a soccer player growing up. So she was someone I always looked up to. I know when I started playing soccer, I wanted to be number 12 because she was number 12. Um, and I know a girl on my, my first soccer team had it, so I couldn't be number 12 and I was so upset. Um, but yeah, she's great. I actually had the opportunity to watch her when I was living in Toronto. Um, the, the summer I was with, uh, with tennis Canada and she scored a goal and she's just amazing. She has the most international goals of any, uh, male or female soccer player. Um, she's incredible. Like, and I think she's done a lot for Canadian soccer and, um, it'll be sad to see her when she retires. I know she is getting a, a bit older, but even at her age, she's still one of the best. Like, yeah, anyways, she's, she's number one. And then obviously Serena as well. No, for sure. Yeah. How about you? Mine's, mine's probably Cassie Campbell. And it kind of goes back to the point where I was just able to watch her live. Yeah. It goes to the Olympics in 2002. Um, I mean, I, they won that year. So did the men. Like it was the it was the dual thing. I still have the photo of the two the two teams that won that year. So that was pretty cool stuff. And it's just like going back to what we were saying before. Like it was just accessible to watch her. Like with CBC doing the thing that they're they're gonna air it two or three days later. Yeah. It's like I mean, you're gonna be able to see it, but you want to watch those moments live because I remember watching her, mm -hmm. and it was just like incredible watching. And and she does such a great job too promoting women's sport too because she works for rogers at sportsnet yep and it's every, every yeah she's always she has something and getting somebody to do something so she's it's definitely her for me does she do the color for calgary flames like yeah, yeah. so yeah. she's yeah she's, she's huge within the, the women's hockey realm and and that's where we also need more women within the broadcasting realm as well right and visible voices there so no that's great I always like to, I am going to go to my favorite women athletes uh, of all time, but I also like to highlight too, that some there are some positive strides happening in sports, not all bad with the first NFL uh, referee in the Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, that was amazing yep. to see. Yep. And a lot of the coaching staffs too have really diversified and, and have, you know, are involving women because I think it's, it, there is just so much value in having both perspectives and both, you know, those, those, you know, high critically thinking minds, you know, those powers combined. I mean, there's just so much, 
uh, great input and in, in those different perspectives. So it is great to see. Uh, but when I think about some of my favorite athletes, I mean, Serena Williams, obviously, I'm a bit of a sucker for greatness. So I'm always on board <laughs> with people who dominate sports. Obviously, Tom Brady and LeBron James um, and Haley Wickenizer um, and, you know, obviously Christine Sinclair. But Serena Williams is just, I think she's, you know, she's got to be, uh, she's around Mount Rushmore athlete, period. I mean, just in terms of, of her greatness and what she's done in, in, in women's tennis. So, um, you know, she's you know, certainly been someone I've, I've followed along with and my grandmother she was kind of the the i remember you know we used to go to a cottage and we'd always watch wimbledon together and she was always just always loving serena and and mm-hmm. you know a big fan um but i think brooke henderson as well brooke henderson is is she's you know probably she's the best canadian golfer right now we have uh, the country has to offer she's the only one who's won major tournaments since mike weir won the masters but brooke henderson is certainly someone who when she's playing i'm following along obviously i wish there was more media attention and, and just more and it goes beyond television as well. Like just the social accounts as well, really, mm-hmm. you know, sports center and TSN, like show these highlights of, of these women yeah. athletes, you know, and, and um, you know, cause they do happen, uh, you know, every day and, and um, you know, more often than, than you'd think. So, uh, but listen, Kev, you know, we really enjoyed having you on and, and this has been such great conversation. So, you know, hopefully we can do it again very soon. And, and we're looking forward to promoting not only women's sports on our platform, but we're looking, I think you're, you're creating a, a, a you know, a, a, an account for, for some of our followers to follow along with called the announcer. Yeah. So my friend and I, uh, her name is Erin Murphy. Her and I, we're going to, we're going to start a, a social media kind of outlet to um, start promoting women's sports. I know there's a, there's starting to be a lot out there and I want to get in on it because uh, I love talking about women's tennis. I love talking about but women's soccer and I want to start learning a bit more about the other realms of, of women's sport as well whether they whether that's NCAA sports and I think yeah so we're starting the announcer um and it's going to be on uh Twitter and Instagram to, to get a newsletter going uh so I'll have a website built hopefully within the next few months and I'll, I'll get you guys to to blast it out there once uh we we have released it but yeah just to kind of feature stories about women and their accomplishments in sport um and i think we got to start changing the narrative and i think these smaller accounts can make a difference so whether that be some of my followers your followers just uh if they see something on social media that i posted or that you guys post about about women's sport that exposes it more and will maybe help to kind of start to to, to see this viable change. So yeah, no, I'm starting that up uh, this month. Cool. Awesome. No, we're really excited for that, Kevin. Yeah, I look forward to it. Um, but, uh, but no, I think before we end the episode, before we conclude, I definitely want to give a shout out to, to two women uh, from our community uh, here in the Annapolis Valley who are doing great things. Uh, we've got Mae Batherson, who is a defenseman uh, for the NCAA, in the NCAA uh, for Sy- the Syracuse Crunch. Uh, she's an amazing defenseman. And also uh, Brett Pettit, she's the captain of the Wisconsin Wolverines uh, in the NCAA as well. So they're both from our small community here in Nova Scotia. Just, we just wanted to give them a shout out and give them uh, the attention they deserve because they are just phenomenal athletes. Um, and, uh, and yeah, Kev, listen, so you know, we'll, uh, we'll catch up soon. And, and thank you so much for coming on. When I was yeah, six thanks so much for Broke my leg And I was running from my brother and his friends And tasted the sweet perfume of the mountain grass I rolled down I was younger then